this year we're getting the whole story. We're retelling the Christmas story through the eyes and the experiences of six different characters. And we're asking, what did the birth of Jesus mean to each of these characters? What did it look like to them? How did they understand it? And so today we come to the angels and the shepherds and we say, what, what did the birth of Jesus mean to them? How did, how did they understand what was happening? You know, when I think about angels in the Bible, when I, when I see them mentioned, I, I realize that I think of them mostly as uh, m- mostly doing what they're told to do, saying what they're told to say. And I think that's true enough, but when they speak, it's also clear that they're thinking beings with emotions. They're not just robots who are sent to announce things. First Peter says that uh, they were longing to understand what God had in mind to solve the sin problem in the world. They knew the history. I mean, they knew about the good and flawless creation that God had created. They knew about the entry of sin into the world and the destruction and death that that brought. They knew about the centuries of pain and struggle that resulted from the introduction of sin and death in the world. But they also knew about God's promise to send someone who would bring about a complete reset, someone who would uh, bring everything in the created world back to the way it was meant to be when it was initially created, bring it back to being harmonious, uh, flourishing, and beautiful. They knew about that promise. So I think it's kind of hard to imagine that when the angel came and made the announcement that we read this morning and that we remind ourselves of at this time of year, it's hard for me to imagine that the angel delivered that in a monotone or that he was like a a telegram person or like just reading a printed announcement. He was sent to deliver this announcement. So he said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring cause great joy for all the people. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Sign here, please. I, I don't think it was like that. I think, yeah, he was definitely carrying out his, he was obediently carrying out his assignments, but I think he was doing so with, filled with joy and with enthusiasm, excited to see what God was doing and excited to see how this would unfold, excited to see what God was about to do. What's curious to me as I think about this story more carefully this week is that the angel made his big announcement or we, today he might, we might say he held his press, press conference at night in a remote place to very ordinary people, to people who are usually overlooked. That was where he chose, where he was sent to make his big announcement, to make the announcement that changes everything, the announcement that God is on the move in a place and in a time where there was no, but nobody important was anywhere around. No one was listening to that announcement who had any influence or any power in their time. But that's where God made this announcement, through his angel. The, the scripture, interestingly enough, doesn't tell us why that was the time or the place. So that might be something you want to ponder as you think about this text or this story. Why would God do it that way? I mean, over the centuries, Commentators and preachers have, have come, up, come up with some ideas, some suggestions. So, for example, maybe it was because to emphasize that the message that he was bringing was for ordinary people. So we clearly see that um, played out in this story. Or maybe it was that 
to remind us of what we know from other texts, that God has a special love and concern for people who are often overlooked or people who are mistreated or people who are ignored or at the edges of their societies. I mean, that's certainly true, and maybe that's why this announcement was made in, such, in this fashion. Or maybe, maybe it was because to help us understand this message is for people who know they need God. Jesus himself says this repeatedly in his teaching later, that my, my message is for the people who know they need God, people who are willing to admit that they need God. People who don't know that or aren't willing to admit that aren't really listening to me. They're not really getting what I'm saying. And so maybe that's why the announcement was made at night in a remote place to very ordinary people. Because shepherds were very ordinary. They were on probably one of the bottom, uh, one of the lowest rungs of the society of their time. They were nothing special. And yet an angel of the Lord appeared to them. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And if you've been with us on Christmas Eve, you know that what comes next. They were terrified. That's right. They were terrified. One of the things that stood out to me this week that I had forgotten is that this is one angel. I think of this whole scene playing out in front of a whole choir of angels. We're going to get to them in just a minute. But there was an angel who came and made this initial announcement to them. But it says that they were terrified. I love the, the, the literal Greek here. The literal Greek wording says they feared a great fear. I love that phrase. They feared a great fear. Or in English, we might say, they were terrified because the angel of the Lord came and it says the glory of the Lord shone around him and included them. Probably something like a blaze of light, a supernatural, incredible light that surrounded them. And of course, they were terrified. And it's in that context that he makes the announcement. He says, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid Because I bring you good news that will bring great joy, will cause great joy for all the people. Tonight, in the town of David, they were just outside the town of David, Bethlehem. Today, in the town of uh, David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This angel is announcing incredibly good news. Finally, after all those centuries of anticipation, of looking forward to God's promise being fulfilled, a Savior has been born. A Savior is one who rescues, one who redeems, one who delivers. A Savior has been born to you. And this Savior is also, will be known as the Messiah, the Lord and the Lord. The Messiah referring to Christ. Whenever we say Christ, that's the same word really as Messiah. God's anointed one, the one God promised, the one God was, had promised to send centuries before. And this one is the Lord, the Lord himself. That's a reference to God. This is, the, the Greek here literally says Christ the Lord. This, the Savior is Christ the Lord. So the, it doesn't really say more than that here. But there's a hint of what we're about to discover in the life of Jesus, that this is God himself. This is Christ the Lord. The Savior language reminds me of what the, Gabriel said, or what the angel said to, um, to Joseph. We looked at two weeks ago where he says, Name this baby Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. <clears throat> at least part of why Jesus came was so that we could be saved so that we could be delivered or rescued from our sins. 
in order to fully grasp what that means, we have to back up a little bit because we need to understand that in, in the biblical frame of ref- reference, there is sin and there are sins. Okay, there are, there's sin and there are sins. And according to the, the way the Bible tells the story, the reason we commit sins is because there's a condition in the world called sin that underlies that. And it's because we're in the grip of this underlying condition of sin that we uh, commit individual acts of sin or sins, what we call sins. The book of Genesis tells us that one of the first decisions that Adam and Eve made on, on behalf of all of us, unfortunately, was to unleash the power of sin into the world. They committed an individual sin, but it unleashed the power of sin as a condition into the world. I don't know that, that's re- that they realized that's what they were doing at the time, but that was one of the consequences of that decision. Sin is anything that treats something other than God as all-important. Sin is anything that treats something other than God as all-important. Or that any step that we take toward placing our hope or our trust, ultimate hope, ultimate trust, in something other than God, that's an expression of, of this condition of sin. And the serpent in that story asked them a question that you and I are still hearing today. What he said to them was, did God really say, hinting, uh, hinting to them, suggesting them that God was misleading them, that they couldn't trust God's word to them, did God really tell you that you shouldn't eat from that tree? He's really trying to pull one over on you. He knows better. He's just not telling you the whole truth. So, but today, you and I might hear that story or that question as, are you sure you can trust God's word to you? Are you sure you can trust what God is saying, what the scriptures say? Are you sure that God really has your best interest in mind? If you live a godly life, if you surrender your life to Christ, are you sure that that's really the best life for you? Sin is a condition. It's a, it's a way of life. In Paul's letters in the New Testament, he refers to sin as our sinful nature or as our flesh. And the problem with sin is that it's like a powerful magnet that eventually pulls all of us in. Fighting against it in our own strength is like trying to fight against the power of a hurricane or a tornado or some force of nature. Or like wearing a suit of armor and trying to avoid the, uh, the, the attraction, the pull of a super magnet. That, that's the condition that we're in because sin is in the world. No one before Jesus has ever mustered the power to resist it. The scriptures say we all fall short. We all end up disobeying God. We all end up failing to trust that he knows what's best for us. We all end up doing things we know we shouldn't do. We all end up saying things we shouldn't say that hurt or deceive other people. We end up thinking evil thoughts, dwelling on harboring uh, thoughts about other people, vengeance we'd like to take. And whenever we manage to avoid some of those things for a period of time, we end up thinking we're pretty good. And we, the sin we commit then is that we trust in our own goodness and we think that God owes us a better life than somebody else because we, we're above them in terms of the sins that we commit. And unfortunately, we commit the sin of relying on our own goodness, own goodness instead of acknowledging our need from God, for God. So we commit specific sins because there is sin in, is in charge of our lives. 
And the sins we commit separate us from God. And the more we persist in those sins, the more we repeat them, the more we nurture, nurture them and, and, and uh, continue in that pathway, the further and further we move away from God. And the only thing that can break that cycle is the power of God himself. You and I don't have the power to break that cycle in our lives. And all of that is the background for this incredibly good news that the angel is delivering in this story. The incredibly good news for you and for me and for the shepherds who heard it initially is that the person and the work of Jesus, the Christ, the Lord, solves both the problem of sin and the problem of our sins. Jesus saves us. He rescues us by forgiving our sins. In his sacrificial death, he provides a uh, forgiveness for our sins. And he also, because he is God, in his death and resurrection, breaks the power that sin has over our lives. So now you can understand why the angel would be excited. No wonder the angel said, I bring you good news. It might have, he might have said, I bring you great news, incredibly great news, that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, Today, I'm announcing to you that in the town of David, right over this hill, right over there, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And as Joseph was told, name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus himself says later that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son. He's talking about himself God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him, whoever believes that He is the Christ, that He is the Lord, will not perish but have eternal life. Because God sent His Son in the world not to condemn the world, but here's this word again, but to save the world through Him. God sent His Son into the world to save the world through Him. The writer of Hebrews later says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood like you and me, the Son also had to become flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who has the power of death. So only because Jesus was God was he able to resist the powerful draw of sin in the world. The writer of Hebrews also says that he was tempted in every way a person can be tempted, but he did not sin. He continued to trust and obey his, his heavenly Father, even when it would have been far easier for him to trust in his own strength, his own abilities, and his own wits. And yet, because he was a human being, Jesus was also part of the human race. He had to be fully human to represent humankind, to represent us. And it says, as it says, for only a human being could die. If he had been only God, he wouldn't have been able to die. He would have been immortal. Only as a human being could he die. But only as a human being could his sinlessness mean something and could his death mean something in this grand story that's unfolding. So the good news that the angel delivered is still good news for you and me today. It means that we can be you and I can be saved from our sins, we can be forgiven for our sins, and the power of sin can be broken in our lives. All we need to do is admit that we've sinned, acknowledge to, and face that reality in our lives. Yes, I'm a sinner. 
I have been wrong. I've done wrong. And ask God to forgive your sins because of the sacrifice of Jesus. All that's required is to accept God's forgiveness for your sins. Accept that Jesus was who he said he was. That he was Christ the Lord. And place your trust in the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. After the first angel made his announcement, it says that suddenly a great company, here's the crowd, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. They're praising God, knowing the history, knowing what this night means, praising God for his foresight his vision into the future, for his grace, for his love for the world, for the lengths to which he was willing to go to save us from our sins and to break the power of sin in our lives that had trapped all of humankind since the decision of Adam and Eve. And then eventually the angels disappeared. When they had left, it says in verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. I don't know how long this took, but it must have taken a little bit of time to recover their wits. I mean, how long would you have to, you know, would it take you to recover your wits after seeing something like this? Not just the glory of the Lord around the initial angel, but this choir of angels thinking about the good news But at some point, they recovered their wits and they said, let's check it out. Let's check it out. They aren't arguing with each other about what this means, arguing with one another about whether it happened or whether it's true. They're simple men. They say, this is a very specific promise. There's one way to find out. Let's go check it out. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby, it says, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, it says, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. The shepherds believe the shepherds believe, just as Mary did when the angel Gabriel spoke to her. And the the shepherds become the first evangelists, the first ones to spread the good news among the people, to tell them what they had seen and what they had heard. Verse 18 says, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They're in the town of Bethlehem, circulating, telling people what had happened and what they had heard. Verse 19, I love verse 19. Mary, it says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Today, we probably would say she mulled them over. This is at least, at least the second and maybe the third time in the Gospels where it says that Mary, Mary took note of what was happening and she pondered what, what had happened. For those of you who like to mull things over and meditate, Mary's, Mary's a good example for you, somebody who incredible things happened in her life and it says she, she paid attention, she stored them up, and she pondered them. She gave careful thought to them over time. And then it says, the shepherds returned, returned to their fields, returned to their their sheep, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They were glorifying and praising God because of what God had said to them, because of what God had done, and because God had kept his promise. It says, things were just as they had been told. Another reminder to us that we can trust the word and the promises of God. They may not work out exactly the way we expect them to be worked out, but they will work out exactly the way God promises to work them out. So here they're glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. And we have tried to follow their example here at Mount Joy Mennonite Church. 
by encouraging each other with our seen and heard stories. Whenever we see and hear God at work in our lives in specific ways, we try to highlight those stories so that we can all hear them and be encouraged by them, so that we, along with the shepherds, can celebrate, glorify, and praise God for who He is and for what He's done and that He keeps His promises, and that we can say with them, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. Will you pray with me?